Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. My guest this week is therapist, performance coach, running coach, and of course, runner herself, Sarah Strong, AKA the trail therapist. Now today we're talking about how running isn't therapy. Running is incredibly therapeutic. It has amazing benefits for our mental and physical health, but it is not a replacement for a higher level of care, actual therapy. And look, I get it. Sometimes it's easier to just go for a run than to open up about your deepest, darkest feelings to somebody who you don't really know that well. (laughs) But we have to make sure that we are using running responsibly and that we are looking at how running fits into our lives in a holistic way. So today we're talking about ways that running can and cannot fit into your life in that capacity, the ways to use running responsibly, the ways that you can maximize your the benefits that you are getting from running, but also when it is time to seek that next level of, let's call it care, that running simply cannot provide. Sarah, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So before we get started in talking about our topic today, I want to learn a bit about you and tell me, Sarah, how did you become a runner? It's such a great question because I am always so tempted to say that I became a runner like later in life, but that's really unfair (laughs) because um, I come from a family of runners. I have six brothers. I was the last in my family to run a marathon, parents included, Um, ran uh, cross country in high school and middle school, but always as like a means to an end. Like I can't throw a ball, I can't kick or catch. So this is how I did a sport, but I wasn't like engaged as an athlete really. Um, And then in my twenties, I did, I really was like kind of in it for, this is probably unfair, what I would kind of say the wrong reasons now, or just not the reasons anymore, but it was really like weight management and sort of like, um, you know, I was doing all the hard cardio and not fueling well and all that stuff and getting injured, signing up and getting injured, signing up and getting injured. Um, And it was this just, again, not really engaging as an athlete very much with running. And then I had kids. Um, and running became my alone time. And then it became my social time again, kind of like when I did cross country when I was younger and I would run with other moms and we would just chill on the trails. And it wasn't about running fast or about, you know, um, the weight loss or all of that stuff. It was about getting out of the house and getting some me time. And I live in Colorado. And so that involved a lot of time in beautiful places. And it was just this natural thing where I just wanted to spend more and more time on the trails. And then it just um, really organically became something where I was pushing my limits and feeling, getting self-belief and all this really good stuff. And my why really shifted with it and my relationship with it shifted. And then it just opened up a lot of doors for me. That's so exciting. It's it's nice, so nice to talk to people who, you know, can can recognize the way that their relationship with the sport has changed over time. And I think the way that you describe your relationship with running in your 20s, and I think is really, really common for how a lot of people come into the sport or come back to the sport or use the sport uh, and until it then turns into something else. Right. It's almost like that gets them in the door and then we're like, oh, but behind the door is like all this really cool stuff that's nothing to do with aesthetics or weight management or, you know, self-flagellation at the gym. And it's about so much more than, than any of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I really credit like the relate, like I really came to running the same time that trail sisters stepped into the scene, like 2016. Um, and I really like, that's what I think of when I think of my relationship with running, it was like other women building me up and also making it all feel really like approachable. Like we're going to meet for these no drop easy runs and we're going to chat and like, 
enjoy the scenery. And um, so I really associate just support and community with my getting back to running. And I think that's a really great kind of segue into our topic today about We'll say, I'm not quite sure what I've titled this episode. It's probably something that's a bit, I don't know, I want to say clickbaity, but it got you to listen, so welcome. But something about, you know, running, in the running community, there is there is kind of a, I don't know, sometimes it's a tongue-in-cheek, but sometimes it's said more seriously that, oh, running is my therapy. Like, oh, I just, I need to go for a run. Like, I need some, I need some, you know, alone time. I need some me time. Running is my therapy. And we're going to talk about that today because running is not therapy. Although running has a ton of therapeutic benefits, it's not actually therapy. And depending on what you are trying to accomplish in your running, um, it actually might be, I want to say, the opposite of therapy, but certainly not conducive to, let's say, therapeutic uh, interventions. So as a mental health professional, um, what do you... What do you think about when you hear somebody say, running is my therapy, or I need to go for a run, running is my therapy in that time? Yeah, um, I think running, I, I would love for people to say running is a coping skill I have. Running really is a great stress reliever for me. Running helps me feel good. And those things are all really true and great and wonderful. And I encourage people to, do, to use running in that way. And that is distinct from therapy, which is working on underlying mental health conditions with a trained mental health professional. Um, and therapy is relationship-based, like the relationship itself is part of the therapy, the therapeutic process. Um, and also therapy is really about learning your thought patterns and unhelpful beliefs. And if we are running by ourselves, <laughs> we are in our own head. And even though we might be able to sort some things out, it's not an objective third party, right? That's really different than therapy. So I think that we have to be careful with our language because there are um, there is a difference between something that helps reduce your stress, something that alleviates some of your mental health symptoms, and therapy, right? Those are two really different things. And so thinking about what you said, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Continue your thought. <laughs> well, so, you know, to, to address that idea of like, I need to get my run in, right? So I would say that's a red flag. We, I think it's, it's okay to say, you know, I'm feeling stress or run is going to help me feel good. But if the only way that we can feel good is by running, um, that's problematic, right? Because then that means that running or what we get from running has more control over the situation than we do. So I think it's one thing to say, I, I need some time to feel, to reduce my stress today, I'm gonna go for a run. Um, and that's different than like, if I don't go for a run, I'm miserable and cranky and nobody can be around me. Cause exactly like, right, if you get injured, what do we do? Or for another reason, need to take time off or you're going on vacation, you can't run or you get pregnant and you're running, you know, slows down and then stops altogether. And like there are uh, there are I love this idea of, of describing running if you choose to as a, a coping skill, implying that hopefully you have a diverse po portfolio of coping skills because um, there's no denying that running can be incredibly therapeutic and beneficial, especially for managing mental health like this is not coming on and saying, you know, don't don't treat running like it's not a good mental health strategy because it is. It's fantastic. Exercise is wonderful. Running is fantastic for your mental health if you're using it in certain ways. Um, but I want to I want to I want to dive deeper into this um, idea of running being therapeutic, because I think it's really important that we acknowledge that there the therapeutic benefits of running in certain situations because there's also certain situations where the, I wanna say the, the stress or the expectation or what you're trying to accomplish with your running is actually might not necessarily be therapeutic. Um, talk to us generally about when running is therapeutic and when running uh, can be, I wanna say less therapeutic, but like nobody's gonna call peak week of marathon training like therapeutic, let's just put it that way. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, Right. If you go, if if you have any concerns around your mental health, or just in general, if you're trying to, um, 
you know, have great mental wellness, one of the first things that anybody's going to tell you to do is to exercise, right? Moving your body is absolutely an essential component of good mental wellness. So yes, running is a great way to move your body, um, to get some of those um, happy neurotransmitters flowing, to do some good rhythmic movement, which is really great for us for um, processing emotions and processing big feelings. Um, it's really powerful for that mind-body connection, right? Like it's so, so good. And so absolutely like run. Um, and during peak week of marathon training, especially, right? Every time you run, uh, running re releases stress hormones in your body. And the harder you run and the longer you run, the more stress hormones are being released into your body. So if we are meeting that stress with rest, then we are getting sort of those benefits, maybe the fitness benefits of stress where we can get to that peak place of stress and then we, we respond with rest and we get adaptations. But if we are just right adding stress on stress on stress, we get burnout, we get injury, we get mental burnout. Um, and so quite literally, I mean, we're just talking, not even just talking about your own sense of stress, but we have a stress hormone being released in your body through running. So you have to be attending to that. And so if we are in peak marathon training, right, at that point, it's really probably training is releasing more cortisol than it's actually helping you manage whatever stress that you would um, normally be using running to manage. So that doesn't mean we don't run or we don't stress ourselves, right? It means that we add additional coping skills. We use additional tools from our toolbox to mitigate those new stressors, and we don't rely on running any longer to fill that need. When you're working with somebody who expresses, and I think this is probably relatively common, that running seems to be the only outlet that they have for you know, managing some of their, you know, just mental wellness and say, you know, running is really the only thing that quote unquote works for me. Like other stuff doesn't work. You know, I can't, I can't, other forms of exercise don't do the same thing. Or I tried meditation and it wasn't the same, you know, and they say running is really the only thing that works for me in that capacity. Um, and obviously that gets into a tricky part, a place of like, we're putting all of our mental wellness eggs in one basket, right? What would you what would you say to somebody who expresses um, that feeling? Yeah, so you know, I think like any muscle, any new skill that we're building, when we start, it doesn't work. It doesn't feel good. When we first started running, it didn't feel probably fantastic either. It felt like this thing that we were trying to get ourselves to learn to do. <clears throat> so when we go into the experience, sort of not really wanting it to work trying it once or twice and then saying, hey, it didn't work because I tried it and it was hard and it's just not for me. We're not really giving it a chance. And I would say that I would prioritize for that individual diversifying their toolkit because of some of the things that you mentioned, just like we, there are um, unforeseen circumstances that can take running away. And it's also just not super healthy to be completely dependent on one thing, right? Um, so I would say, I would really say, I, I would go back to the drawing board, maybe try things again, and think of it like building a muscle, right? We're starting, start little, um, build up, and don't give up after the first couple tries, just like you did with running. Would there be, I'm assuming, benefit in diversifying your kind of coping skills portfolio beyond purely exercise-based coping skills? Because I hear a lot of this too. Like, well, uh, you know, I, like any form of exercise works great for me, like running, CrossFit, biking, hiking, swimming. I'm like, cool. What about a non-exercise just form of, of stress? Because it sounds like what you were describing, and I know this, um, you know, when you're talking about, you know, running is stress, even when we're running for de-stressing um, benefits, it releases stress hormones. All exercise does that, right? All movement does that. Um, what are some ideas of somebody to add non-exercise coping skills into their portfolio? Yeah, so first I really encourage anyone who struggles with stillness to lean into that and um, work on building that muscle. So if um, you're only able to feel um, like that you can manage stress and feel good if, you, if you're moving all the time, that's 
often a sign, right, that stillness is uncomfortable, quiet and calm is uncomfortable. So what sort of thoughts and feelings are coming up that make us want to go and move? So if that's true for somebody, and I think you're right, I think that's true for a lot of folks, I do encourage some exploration with that. It could be a good time to talk with a therapist or just spend some time working on building that muscle. Try to practice mindfulness for five minutes a couple times a week and build up and get that sort of used to some stillness. Um, but again, because if that's something that you're not used to or building up a muscle that might be really, really hard at first, we want to start with some easier things, right? So, um, so I really encourage um, you to think about the different types of self-care. So we have um, physical self-care, which it sounds like most of the folks listening to this are probably naturally doing, right? Um, then we have emotional self-care. So that's doing things like feeling your feelings, journaling, um, laughing, going to like a comedy club, watching a funny movie, um, expressing yourself. We have social self-care, so doing things like connecting with friends, calling somebody who means something to you, writing a thank you note to somebody, or just reaching out, you know, creating connection. Psychological self-care, so that's doing things like learning, reading, um, doing a hobby, learning about something that has nothing to do with running, right? Something completely different. Um, spiritual self-care, so um, doing something like going out in nature and experiencing something that's bigger than yourself or outside of yourself, connecting to a greater community, again, to feel something bigger than yourself, um, or going to like a religious service or a spiritual service of some kind. Um, and I'm probably forgetting a self-care, but there's some examples that, in all of that, I think that could be helpful. And it's really funny because the my runner brain is hearing you describe all these types of self-care and these examples and going, well, technically, I think I can get most of that from running because I can journal about my runs <laughs> and I can go out in nature on my runs and I can hang out with my running friends on runs. And I, like, it is so easy to get really consumed by this sport and have it, I, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit, right? It can be all consuming and it's so it's so powerful and exciting for most people to be runners. And we want to be immersed in this all the time um, that it can it can actively feel challenging to cultivate other things intentionally outside of running, because I think sometimes in this sport, the messaging and the way that we just communicate about what it means to be, quote unquote, disciplined or committed is that you're supposed to be all in right? You're all in all the time. And if you are committed to this, you're like, this is your entire life. And if you're a runner, like it's your whole world and like nothing in your life should be your entire life, right? There's nothing no, like no hobby should consume you. And I'm listening, you know, my audience, like they're all for the most part, as far as I know, we're recreational runners. This is our hobby. We're not earning paychecks from standing on top of podiums. And, um, Balance is required to live your life to the fullest. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And and so Addie Bracey puts in her book, um, the Mental Skills Training for Ultra Runners book. I don't know if this is her thing or if she got it from somebody else, but I got it from her. So, um, But she talks about your identity pie chart. And she says, sit down and make a pie graph and, you know, think about each of the slices of your life, right? And how big each of those slices are. And um, there's no like right or wrong with it. Take, just think about, you know, I am, I'm, a, I'm a mom and I'm a partner and I'm a runner and I'm a therapist and I'm a coach and um, I'm a volunteer and I'm a sister. And how do each of these, how do I, um, how much of those roles is, are like they taking up in my life, right? How big of the pie are they? And how do I feel about that when I've done that? And so I think for a lot of folks, we can sit down and do that. We realize, wow, if I look at my week and where I'm really spending my time and my energy, my pie is, you know, 75% running or something like that. And that's really what happens if we have to take that pie away. What happens if they're, right? Then, or that slice away, then what? Or if everything, if my whole feelings about my worth and my value are then connected to that slice of pie, whew, right? That's much more, like we talk about, it, it's more than just the, the physical stress of cortisol impacting our mental health, but what's our relationship with running? How do we see our success, um, you know, if, or 
yeah, like whether or not we're getting faster, we're running longer. And if those things aren't happening, how does that impact our mental health? So I think that pie exercise is very helpful um, for that. That's that's a really interesting way to, to think about it. And I'm thinking about some of the, I want to say some of the greatest runners that I know, you know, professionally and I'd say recreationally. And the really good ones all seem to have something else that they also like to do. So when they need to take time off or they choose to take time off, it's not an issue. They're like, yeah, I'll just go do this for a while instead. And maybe that thing is spending time with family or maybe that thing is something totally different. Or like it's 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 almost like their ability to have other things in their life allows them when they want to to focus on running, allows them to be truly great at that thing in that time because it's not the only thing they're doing. It's just one of yeah. the things that they do. I think about the year Claire Gallagher won Western States and I'm pretty sure that she spent like the few months before that, like scuba diving and, you know, really focused on things that weren't running. And I was, it was so refreshing to see like, just the way that she was able to model this, she's living her whole life, right? She's not just a runner. She she has that really diverse pie and she is going to, she wants each of those slices to be, you know, equal or whatever it is. And so I think that's, I, re, I remember that and I just think it's really empowering. And I think you're right. I think a lot of um, really successful runners do other things. They have other joys, other passions, other interests. I wanna talk about some ways that running that I have seen running exacerbate some, I would say, mental health concerns or maybe some issues that would be better served by therapy um, that are, I think, really easy to romanticize in the culture that we live in as runners. Things that are around, you know, um, kind of, you know, no days off or kind of perfectionist tendencies or kind of compulsive need to hit certain numbers or to run a certain amount. Um, and it's under, it, it's, it's presented to us under the guise of, like I said, kind of commitment and discipline. They're like, oh, if you're really a runner, you will run in this situation where on the outside in, somebody would say, no, 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 you, you probably shouldn't. Or I don't know if your relationship with the numbers is necessarily looking healthy to me, but somebody, the runner can kind of defend this and say, this is just a product of what it is to be a runner. You don't understand. This is what it means to be a runner. And of course there's a spectrum, right? That we're dealing with here, but talk about some things that you see where we're getting towards the end of the spectrum that would be concerning in one's relationship to the sport? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So, you know, one of the big things that comes up is I think a sense of control. So I think a lot of times folks will use exercise regimen or eating and, um, as a way to find a sense of control, but at the same time, they feel a lack of control around it. So I would say if that dynamic is existing, if this like deep desire to feel control and a simultaneous feeling of not being in control are happening, that would be um, really like a time we'd wanna check in with a therapist or get some extra outside support. Um, some um, other things that come out are like, are you punishing yourself or are you celebrating yourself and your strengths, right? So if you're like, ooh, I'm interested in seeing my limits or I want to, I'm like, want to see how strong I am or this and that, that's different than, um, you know, you don't deserve this or you have to do this or um, that sort of pressure that we can give to ourselves. If, if your goals are for other people, right? So, um, well, I'm supposed to go this next distance because I've done the marathon a few times and after you do the marathon, you do the ultra and that's just what I'm supposed to do, right? Not out of like a desire to do it or I want people to think I am X, Y, Z, right? Like those would be signs that like, hey, your um, relationship with running isn't about about yourself, right? It could be a little bit, um, yeah, when you're looking outward for validation, as opposed to being able to validate yourself and you're using running to get that validation, um, that would not be a great use of, of running. 
I often see this around um, hitting certain numbers, whether that's mileage targets or, you know, training volume or paces and workouts or whatever it is that, you know, for me, if I were talking to a runner in, in, in my capacity as a coach, not as a mental health professional, um, but this happened to me more than a few times, right? Which is why I want to bring it up as an example. You know, let's say I write a training week for an athlete. Let's say on paper, we're, we're going to get them to about 40 miles this week. Just pulling a number out of thin air, about 40 miles this week, right? So they're doing this one, that, and this, that, the other, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, whatever happens, they run, let's say, 39 miles, right? I've had athletes text me to apologize for not mm-hmm. hitting their weekly mileage targets. And with this, like, big, long, like, I am so sorry. I didn't have time to finish my run. I can add that extra mile in tomorrow. Please let me know. Like, this will never happen again. I'm like, wow. Like, you know, one... I understand, like, you know, you can feel their kind of like panic and distress coming through in that communication. That's a very, I understand, like, what it feels like to feel that way. And my first reaction is like, oh, God, I just want to give you a hug because it doesn't matter that much, right? That we're giving that sometimes we assign so much meaning. Like you said, it's kind of illusion, this control. Like, we, we think it's giving us control. As your coach, I promise you there is zero difference in your training world between running 39 and 40 miles in a week. But it's amazing to to hear to, and to go through the process with some runners. It is genuinely distressful for a variety of reasons, right? Maybe it is about they have an issue, you know, they really like to hit specific kinds of numbers. Maybe it is perfectionist. Maybe it's anxiety, whatever it is. There can be a lot of issues, you know, kind of things that can contribute to how that goes. But that specific scenario pops up over and over and over again in my coaching world. Um, and and it's, I think, a really illustrative illustrative example of that that kind of fine line between, you know, uh, <laughs> something that we are, you know, giving power and like letting it control us and we think we're controlling it, but we're not. Absolutely. I actually had an athlete that I've been working with for maybe like 15 months um, who just this week, uh, he had a 20 miler and he did 18.6 for a couple of different reasons. And he was like, yeah, decided that that was what made sense. Full stop. No apology. No, I hope that's okay. No, anything. And I was so proud of him. And it just, it shows, but I think it takes many, many, many athletes a long time to get to that place. I remember running in the parking lot, trying to get the extra 0.02 miles or whatever it is. Um, And so I I can relate very much to that. But I think that you're totally right when an athlete is able to say, hey, that that extra little mile that, you know, it doesn't matter. They're able to have that big picture and really see the long view and not get so focused on a single run or, you know, a single week of training. Um, Yeah, I think that I, I, I agree with you 100% I see that all the time if a runner is listening to this and thinking okay that sounds like me because <laughs> yeah. one of the things I want to talk to you about is about access to access to health care and access yeah. to mental health care in a little bit um, but they're saying uh-oh like yeah I definitely had that reaction or you know they'll go out at like 10 o'clock at night and run like three quarters of a mile to like it's just I mean runners and the thing is it's all presented in under this illusion of like commitment and drive and like being hardcore and like promise you there's nothing hardcore about that that's just compulsive and weird um what can a runner do to maybe take a step back and start to re-examine the relationship that they have with how they're using running in their life the way that they are approaching this sport as a part of of one part of who they are yeah i mean i think uh, like definitely spending some time in reflection is really great and asking yourself or even before um, each run, right? So what is the why behind this run? If it is 1030 at night and I'm going out to run three quarters of a mile to round out my week, right? What's the why behind that? And sometimes just pausing and asking ourselves to have intention about each run can be enough to you know, not have us go out and run that extra nothing run. And it can give some intention behind the run that we're doing. So maybe we've got, um, you know, we 
life happens and we can't fit in that whole workout as prescribed by our coach. And okay, well, what what's the why behind the workout? What did my coach intend from this workout? And how can I get most of that or that general idea, even if it can't be perfect? So, you know, I think um, looking at each run and then being done with the run. I think that's a really important piece for me. Um, I finish my run, I log to my coach, and then I am done for the day. I'm not coming back to that run and thinking about how hard it was or how bad I did or what it means about me as a runner. Um, each run is an individual run. It's not about, um, like, we all have bad runs. It doesn't mean I'm a bad runner or I'm slow or whatever it means, right? And so I think compartmentalizing the run, not reading too much into it, and really kind of checking in with yourself before you go for a run can be great. So that's like from an individual run perspective. And then I also think just having some bigger questions with yourself, what, what is the why behind my run? Why, what is the, or behind my running? What is the why behind the most recent race that I signed up for? What is the why behind this training block? Like I think the winter training block can be a really great example of this. We are most of us in like maintenance phase right now, right? We are like maybe doing some base building or just just maintaining. So um, you don't have to run yourself into the ground during winter training, right? And so uh, thinking about, and if you need to ask your coach, like what, help me understand my training, contextualize my training for me. What is this training block? And then that can really help um, with the relationship of that training block and help you put the sort of right amount of pressure into any given run. Sometimes I think that there's... Um this this idea that if we're not struggling we're not being continually challenged then we're not growing or we're not progressing and um this i again where do these things come from i don't know society right a lot of, a lot of ways that that this messaging but that you see um and i went through this myself as a newer runner but thinking like, oh, but if I did this, like you kind of mentioned earlier, then the next logical step is to do that and to keep going. And I should, every single training cycle should get faster and uh, I should run more and more strength training and more running and more frequency and more volume and like more and more and more and more. Um, and because of, because of the relationship that we may have with what progress or progressing means to us, and I love your um, talking, you know, what you said about learning to kind of just sit in the stillness. Um, and I would even say learning as a runner how to do less rather than to do more. That in it, if doing if doing less makes you uncomfortable, oh boy, there's a lot to think about there. Yeah. My coach will often prescribe um, a range, right? Six to eight miles, 10 to 12 miles. And... Um, all the time, you know, people are doing the eight, like the, especially newer athletes when they first start. And, um, and it's sort of similar to how I was saying about my athlete who, who could do it like one less mile when somebody can do the six, when somebody does the low end and still knows, first of all, it's in the range. Like we are saying, we are giving you permission. First of all, you don't need your coach's permission for anything, but we're giving you permission and saying six to eight. And still people will be like, well, they don't really mean six. They really want me to do eight. They really want me. And always, if you can get the same benefits from six, then I don't want you to do eight. I do not want two more miles of stress on your body if you are gonna get the same benefits from six, right? And so helping people to see that sometimes all you need is the six mile. It's not always, like you said, more, 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 harder, you know. Especially, I think, when, when athletes really start, because when I was getting injured all the time, my cortisol was, off the charts and all of that, I was running maybe three days a week and they were all either super hard or super fast runs. And so when runners are able to get consistent and do like that five days a week of consistent running, I think it is easier to pull back a little bit and let some of those runs be easy because you know, no one run has all the pressure on it. And when we have fewer runs in the week, I think we put a lot of emotional and physical pressure on, on each of those runs. Yes, but I'll also say that just because your run is easy doesn't mean it isn't also still 
a stressor on your body? Because I, I, yes. I am sure you have at this point. I feel like I've heard most of the kind of comebacks to some of this stuff. They're like, but it was an easy run like that. It, it, it like barely counted. I'm like, I, let's let's like not talk about whether things count or not. But I'm like a run's a run. Like, you you know, even if it's easy, it's still a stressor. Um, and I want to I want to I want to ask you about because, you know, thinking about running is not therapy, running is not a replacement for therapy. But like you said, one of the best things one can do for one's mental wellness is to get regular exercise. And so especially if you are coming into running or coming back to running at the outset, the first kind of initial, I want to say honeymoon phase, but the first period of your uh, experience with running can feel like it actually is therapy. Like you may experience great personal growth through the challenges that you are experiencing as a runner and you may learn a lot about yourself. Um, but that still, again, does not mean that running will continue to serve you in that way, nor is it going to replace the need for something that's more clinical if you need that type of support. Absolutely. And I think one thing to, to mention is like not everybody needs and or wants therapy. So for many people, um, they will feel that personal growth. They're going to get those endorphins flowing. They're going to, you know, have some new goals, some new self-beliefs and confidence. They're going to have some enhanced mind-body connection. And that's going to be enough. That's going to be enough. And like you said, it's there that reminder that um, it can, that kind of can wear off. And we want to make sure that we've got the diverse toolkit in case anything comes up and running or an inability to, an inability to run is in itself a stressor, right? Then we want something else. Um, but so, right. So for many people, you, that's great. You, um, you have great mental wellness and maybe you don't, need therapy. And again, you don't need to have a mental health diagnosis to see a therapist. There are lots of people who can see a therapist um, just because it's helpful. But there are millions of people, 25% of adults in the United States have either depression or anxiety. There are millions of people who cannot just feel better from running, or they can have some symptom alleviation from running, but that's not going to address or treat their underlying mental health conditions. Right. And so that's where we really have to say, yeah, it can feel good and it can and that's great. And if you continue to have unhelpful um, thoughts or beliefs that are impacting your relationships or, you know, impacting your uh, I mean, just anything. Right. Like mental illness can impact every facet of life. Um, But if you are um, if you have all that going on, running can can like make you feel better in the moment, can do some good stuff, but it's not in and of itself going to treat any of those things. And sometimes, you know, it is tongue in cheek when somebody says, oh, like running's my therapy, you know, like, haha, like, yeah, okay. Like maybe, maybe it all kind of actually is for some person. Like you said, there are a bunch of people for whom regular exercise, a balanced diet, regular sun exposure, healthy, you know, social relationships, like all these things, like they're good right? We all have adversity. We all face challenges. We all work through our own stuff. But like, generally speaking, like that's what they need and they're getting it. And that's completely fine. But there are a lot of people, and I would probably argue more so in recent years, who need more than just those things to really feel at home in their bodies and in their brains. Absolutely. And, and I think, I think it's, you know, it's fine to be tongue in cheek um, and language is important. And for the millions of people who do need therapy, when somebody says running is my therapy, it feels dismissive to their experience and what their needs really are. And because and therapy is hard to get. And if it was as simple as being able to go for a run, you know, people would do it and they would feel great. And when and and when they need so much more than that, and it is presented as like, well, just go for a run, you know, then that'll be fine. <laughs> um, that's where that's where my concern comes in. So I want to I think it's important for people to be reflective about the language that they're using and to maybe like I said at the beginning, maybe we say it's my coping skills, my stress relief. It's, you know, my favorite part of my day. Like all of those things can be totally true. It's not therapy. Uh, do you ever work with people who are 
uh, working on more the optimization side of skills. Like, they, you know, nothing's really quote unquote wrong, right? But they are trying to just level up, right? Level up their running, level up their life skills, level up something else. Because I, so much of what we talk about with mental health and mental wellness and, and, and receiving help you know, from a therapist or another qualified mental health professional tends to focus on, you know, diagnose conditions and like fixing problems, quote unquote. But there is a huge, entirely other big side of this coin that is about, well, if you're good, can we make you even better? Right. So yeah, I think there's um, therapy and there's coaching. So there, like, definitely people can do sports performance coaching if it's like really like skills based stuff around running and racing. But if it's stuff where it's like, um, yeah, I want to explore my values and my beliefs and my childhood, and I want to um, address you know underlying thought processes that I might have, then that's appropriate for therapy. Um, insurance is not going to cover therapy for people who are going because they want to they're already good and they want to be better and i will say i think everybody can benefit from therapy therapists have therapists um i think people can have really great be in a really great place um, with their mental wellness not have a diagnosed mental illness and still benefit from having an objective third party to talk through things insurance does not agree with that um and so that's where you know you get the where like, yes, people can absolutely do that. And um, it's not always easily accessible for everybody. And you just brought up something that I wanted to talk about was the lack of healthcare equity that most people experience, especially in America. Um, in that sometimes, you know, when, when people are saying something like running is my therapy, the underlying the kind of the subtext might be because that's all I have, like I because I can't get anything else, right? Therapy can be very expensive. Therapists, you know, there's a, a shortage of mental health care professionals in this country. Um, you know, so I think it's tough to have these types of conversations and say, oh, well, you know, if you need to see a therapist, you should just see a therapist. And it's so not as simple as that. And so for somebody who's saying, but you don't understand, running is literally like, it's everything that I actually can have access to at this point in time. Like there's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's it's a, more of a, a you know commentary on where we are as a society that we can't get everybody the help that they need if they wanted it. A hundred percent. I mean, I yes, I cannot agree with you more that the the lack of access to therapists is a huge huge problem. It is the barriers financial barriers is probably the biggest one. Um, like you said, just the shortage of therapists. And then once we start talking about medication, it's just a whole different thing. I mean, way more of a shortage, way more barriers. Um, and, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Oh, yes. So if that is a barrier for you, which it absolutely is for many people, a couple of things. So one, we still want to diversify our coping skill set. So if you feel like running is my therapy, it's my only therapy, let's reframe that again. Running is my coping skill and I won't let it be my own only coping skill, right? So I'm going to spend a lot of time and energy here and I'm gonna diversify that. And let's see how we can get you connected to services. So Bigger Than The Trail is a great organization. I don't know if you're familiar with them, um, but it's a group of, um, runners it's peer led volunteer led and um essentially they can help connect you to better help which has um therapy virtually um it's not it's not uh, it doesn't solve the problem for everybody i know not everybody wants virtual services but this is an option for people who really feel like hey i need support today reach out to bigger than the trail today they can get you connected to better help um, we're also going to be launching really soon some group um, peer um, support meetings that are going to be free so that runners who are looking for mental health support but maybe don't want a therapist are going to have a community that they can reach out to. And that's coming really soon. I'm very excited about that. Um, but there are there are things right. There are options if you work for if you work 
and you have an employer, check out whether or not you guys have an employer assistance program. Many companies have six to eight free weeks of therapy for their employers employees in a given year. Um, so those are not, right, they're big systemic issues that I am definitely not trying to dismiss at all. I, I'm just trying to say to people out there that there are ways to get support right away um, and uh, bigger than the trail and your employer being like the two top places I would I would start. Well, it's very exciting about uh, about those groups. And I mean, more more is more access, more opportunities is always better. Uh, and it does feel like in recent years, we have started talking and like merely normalizing this um, about just like, hey, it's OK to talk to somebody like if you need help, you know, and I think one of the um, I'm going to say kind of things that people might think about therapy is that, oh, once you once you get into therapy, like you're just going to be in therapy for the rest of your life. Right. And that's not necessarily true. And having I mean, I've been, you know, seeing a therapist on and off since I was a a child um, and I'm not currently seeing a therapist because I don't currently need to be in therapy. Right. So it's very much like. I think one of the, like I said, kind of the issues, like, well, once you start, like you, you, you're in it forever. And that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of want to, you know, educate people about that. Yeah, a lot of times, right? So we've talked about how with the therapist, maybe you're processing things, right? Maybe you are working on some big things that happened when you were younger, some trauma, maybe you're working on some underlying beliefs and thoughts, and maybe you're doing some skill building. Maybe you're learning some ways to feel calm when you're really anxious. Maybe you're learning some ways to communicate boundaries and, um, you know, have healthy relationships. And those are things that maybe you can do in a six to eight week focused um, intervention with a therapist, right? Like you can, therapy can look a, a lot of ways and it's really about what do you need? Where are you feeling stress in your life or what's caused, like, do you have distress? Do you have... Um, fears? Do you have you know, worries or things that make you feel sad and hopeless? Those are the things that you bring to your therapist and your therapist will work with you on them. And for some people, there's a lot. People have, unfortunately, life can be hard for a lot of folks, right? And so some people are going to need more time. They've got more things to go over. And some of us are going to need less time. You know, we need specific skills. We've got a new thing that just happened. We've got this, we just had a kid, and life's different, right? That's a great time to get some extra skills, get some extra support. Doesn't mean you're gonna need it forever, but but there are people that are there to support you through some of these challenges that life brings and and life will bring them. Yeah, it will. <laughs> Something I also wanted to talk about was not to like bring this full circle back to, to like, oh, but running will fix it. But I feel like running when when approached correctly is a wonderful um place to practice your skills and to work on your mental wellness like as long as you're setting yourself up for success right um that i mean for me personally i i find running one of the greatest opportunities for growth in my own mental wellness and mental health to practice skills like you know learning to let go and learning how to trust myself and learning how to, you know, you know, reframe negative thoughts like that running itself actually can be a wonderful opportunity to improve your mental wellness in general. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Um, goal setting and you can do mindfulness techniques while you're running. So if you're somebody, so mindfulness, um, if you don't know, is one of the absolute most amazing things that you can do for your mental health, your mental wellness and your running, um, and that mind body connection piece. And so for those of you who um, don't quite feel comfortable in stillness yet, and the idea of mindfulness is absolutely just uncomfortable, totally get it. Spend five, 10 minutes of your run doing a mindful running where you're paying attention to the pattern of your footsteps or you're tuning into your breath or um, the world around you. There are ways that you can just, yeah, bring some of those practices right into your run. And then you're getting those natural physiological benefits from the run and then some extra mindfulness benefits with it too. I'll also say, I mean, if somebody is still like, okay, that sounds interesting, but um, that mindfulness is such an amazing tool for races, 
when you have all these thoughts and emotions that are running through your head that are telling you to like, this hurts and you should stop. And like, what if we just stopped? And don't you want to stop? Right. And, like, <laughs> and, and to be able to, to use mindfulness and kind of like, let like, okay, that's, I'm, that's something that I I'm thinking or like, yes, I'm acknowledging this and you just kind of let it go because so often this is getting more of kind of the, that performance side, but oftentimes you know, we sometimes we it can feel like we are, um, you know, slaves to our thoughts and emotions, right? Like a thought enters into our head, and like we can't, we have to, we have to obey it. Um, but obviously, in many situations, we don't want to have to obey every single thought that comes into our head, and specifically not when we're racing, and that that thought is saying stop or slow down. That being able to um, kind of gain more insight into your mind and and how you think and why you think certain things it is so cool to be able to understand yourself a little better in that way it's i think it's a superpower i mean i really like if i can make any a recommendation to anybody runner or otherwise uh in terms of a skill that can can help your life it would be mindfulness and i think it absolutely helps with with running exactly what you said one of the things so when we run i talked about how you're you release cortisol um which is a stress hormone and you activate your stress response so we the fight or flight um just um what the fight or flight response sorry and or the freeze and faint response and when we activate that system so our body is in fight or flight mode which it's when you're running for long distances, your brain is really trying to do anything to get you to stop because your brain's job is to keep you safe and you are running for hours and hours and your brain is like, something is wrong. I need to help you. And so it's sending up all the signals to stop. When you practice mindfulness, you are able to notice when that fight or flight system is activated because when it's activated, it creates different feelings in your body and when it creates those feelings, it also brings with it different thoughts. And so the more that you practice mindfulness, the more that you are able to isolate those thoughts and those feelings as being a stress response. And so when you can see that's a stress response, that's this thing I can respond to and manage as opposed to like, this is happening to me, right? And you, it's part of you, it's all of you, it's harder to respond to and separate yourself from. But when you can see, oh, my heart rate has gone up you know i'm sweating more <laughs> i can tell that my sympathetic nervous system's activated right now so these thoughts that are coming at me i'm gonna only listen to them so much right and that sounds like a really good skill just to have like in your daily life because i think at this point in 2023 you've all had the experience of like kind of feeling vaguely panicked for no reason <laughs> yes at some point right like for you know it's just life in the 21st century like we you know all of these were like oh, i just kind of feel like vaguely panicked and maybe you're doom scrolling on your phone or maybe you're compulsively flipping through or maybe you're, you know kind of like you can't really seem to focus and like then you're like oh, I'm, I'm gonna go for a run i'm gonna go for a run and it sounds like in that situation what we're essentially doing is taking uh, I'll use myself as an example. If that were me, I would already be in this like kind of heightened stress state. And then I would go for a run, which is also stressful. Right. Right. To <laughs> yes. help try to calm myself down. Right. And of course, I might then receive some therapeutic benefits from the run. And maybe there would be like, OK, but uh, combating stress with more stress is not always going to be what we want to do. Right. And so that's so um, in those moments when we're particularly activated. So and you have uh, so you're in that fight or flight mode. Right. And your body is asking for movement. Running could be an OK thing to do because your body is essentially asking for it. But think back to what I talked about earlier when I said before we go run, we check in with ourselves. What is the purpose of this run? Right. And so this run is to help me relieve stress. Well, that means I'm not going to run super hard. I'm not going to do interval, whatever it is. I'm going to go, maybe I could walk. You know, is there another way that I could do this? Did I already run today? <laughs> maybe I should just walk. Right. So I think adding that check-in before a run is a good idea. Um, but so like, right. In those moments when we have um, like an acute moment of stress and our body is 
letting us know that it wants to move, that that's a way that it's going to process that stress, we can move our body. That makes sense. Where we get concerned with the stress is when it's like compounded. So we have stress on stress on stress and we're running, 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 and we're not meeting that stress with rest. Sounds like, I mean, I... I personally like to say, you know, that running for me is more than just about running and performance and testing our limits. It's about learning how to be like, learn more about ourselves as people, become the best versions of ourselves. Um, And I think sometimes when we are as runners so focused on performance and so focused on numbers that we miss the opportunity to develop these these life skills that will not only improve our running and our relationship with the sport, but will like translate into other areas of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, we, it, it distracts our attention and we don't really get to cultivate it, right? Like if you're, um, if you're always just running to get the run done and not checking in with yourself and not using the time to um, enhance that mind-body connection, then you're not getting those benefits, right? So when we think about, well, running is my therapy, well, not if you're not mindfully using it, or that's a double negative, only if you're mindfully using it, right? Um, you have to like be intentional about using this as a skill for that purpose. If you're just running to run, it's not doing those, it's not helping in that same way. It's interesting. I've been thinking about this recently in the context of like, you know, we all make mistakes with our run, like talk about pacing mistakes or feeling mistakes or all this kind of stuff. And um, somebody else said this, I'm not gonna pretend that I said this and I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Amanda Brooks at Run at the Finish. Um, She said something about, you know, you do it once, it's a mistake. You do it twice, maybe you're still learning. You do it three times, it's a choice. So, you know, it's okay to make mistakes or to go through the process of identifying and saying like, okay, I don't think this is necessarily where I want to be with this thing or whatever the thing is. Maybe your relationship with running or, or can look at many different things in that way. But it's only, it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to need to work on things. But if it's identified as a problem, and you don't do anything about it, then it becomes a choice to continue to actively engage in the problem. Yes, I mean, and I think that's why everything starts with awareness, right? Because you can't, you're not, I think a lot of people aren't making a choice, right? They're they're engaged, like I think we, you know, I, we started by my talking about my relationship with running when I was younger and that I really, um, thought I was doing things the right way, right? Um, And I didn't have the awareness of um, how my choices were impacting me. And so I think the first place that we start with anything is awareness. That's why we are reflecting. That's why we spend time in mindfulness. That's why we check in with ourselves before and after runs. How did I feel before that run? How do I feel now that I'm done? Um, We spend, we sit in stillness, (laughs) right? We spend some of that time getting to know ourselves because then we have awareness. We understand what's my why behind doing this. We understand, um, you know, what makes us feel more stress, what relieves stress. When we just go, 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 and we never stop and ask ourselves those things, then we don't even have that awareness to make a choice from, right? So I think, I, I find that with a lot of people, it's even, it's, it's starting back, we are not even at the choice place, right? It's not even like they're continuing to make a poor choice. It's, it's they don't have the awareness that they're, hurting themselves or they're hurting their long-term running or they're hurting, you know, whatever it is. I want to finish up by asking you about um, how to help somebody develop their why or understand their why. Because like you said in your discussion about your relationship with running, and I've seen this with how my relationship with running has changed, is that you said my why changed. And that the why that brings you into the sport may not be the why that keeps you in the sport and that you know, your why might, should, probably will change over time. What do we mean by that? What is, what is the why and how can somebody understand what theirs is? Yeah. So the why, so I, you know, I've talked a little bit about like each run having its why, right? Like what is the purpose of this? Um, but really like why, like why, why are you running? 
what is it bringing to your life, right? And that's going to be different for every person. And it does not have to be noble. If the if it is, I like to run, it feels good. 100% that is, that is fair. We don't have to be like some altruistic, you know, it doesn't have to be anything deeper than that. Um, but it is about connecting your daily habits and actions with something bigger. Because when you are in the monotony, the routine, the ugly weather, the late nights, and you have a training run to do, you want to feel a bigger purpose behind that run, or it's going to be hard to get out the door, right? There's a reason that you're doing it. And so it's a way, so some of the things that we think about with the why are like our values, right? Like how does how is run how does running connect with you as a person? How does it connect to like your values and who you are? Um, because again, for you to take it's a lot of work, it's a lot of energy, it's a lot of time, right? The training it, it takes a lot, and it is like you talked about at the beginning, discipline and and purpose and feeling connected to it, right? It's not just an action. It's just not a thing I do. Because when you do that, you, you can feel resentful, um, not just unmotivated, not just disengaged, but annoyed, right? Ugh, why do I have to do this? I'm getting up. Well, why, <laughs> right? Why do you want to do this? Not why do I have to do this? Why do you get to do this? Why is it on your calendar? What's it connected to? And it, it, it can just really help you stay focused and not lose sight of things where you, where um, then you get bogged, you know, if you are running for mental health, let's say. it's I'm running because it's my therapy. It makes me feel good. And then we're finding that it's stressing you out. Now you're disconnected from your why. And when you can name it again, it's going to reframe your training. Maybe you're going to change things up a little bit and do things that are more connected to what you're looking for. I will also say sometimes I see people um, conflating their why with their big goal. And mm -hmm. that you're, you know, some of you say, well, why do you run? Like, oh, I want to qualify for Boston. I'm like, it's not, that's not why you run. That's one of the things you're hoping to accomplish with your running. That's not please tell me that's not the only reason that you're running. Um, because yeah, I, the things that you're saying, this is about who you are as a person and your values. And it's about way more than a single goal. Right. Um, but so I think that's, that's really important because I think when we, when we go through the process of exploring what our why is so often, well, why do you do this? Oh, because I want to, I want to accomplish this goal. Like mm -hmm. that's, it's bigger than that. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, what is my why? And you're thinking my why is related to this, uh, this outcome goal, right? This race goal or this race distance or this time or this pace. That's not your why. Your why is something other than that, right? So keep digging. It's got to be process oriented, really, right? Because what if that outcome doesn't happen? Then is none of this worth it? Are none of the hours that you're spending, none of the energy worth it, right? No. So you have to look, what is the what do I get from the process of running? Why do, why do I run? What is the process, the training process, the goal setting process, the getting up every day process? What do I do? Um, like, why am I doing that? And yes, yeah, so I think, I think you're totally right. When we have, when we are focused on out, outcome goals, we really set ourselves up for um, some tough days if we don't meet that goal, right? Um, even if we've done all the work and we're still, you know, people can be incredible. I have put out this amazing training and then one day, one run suddenly is like a referendum on their running. And um, yeah, that's, that's definitely the danger of having a why associated with an outcome goal. So I think process oriented is, is really important. And then I think it's also kind of important to note that if you find yourself in this place of like continually struggling with your self-worth as a result of what's happening in your running, right? Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't hit my goal or that workout went poorly and it, it spirals and it becomes like, you know, something that's really, you know, kind of a problem for how you're thinking about yourself and the way that you're, you know, moving through the world. That would be something that I think would be beneficial to talk to a therapist about, right? That's it. So we're talking about like, where is the line here? Like where, you know, as we differ for everybody, but there's going to be the normal stuff we go through as a runner and the normal stuff we go through as a human. And then sometimes there are going to be situations where maybe something happens and we're like, that maybe is a little bit farther along the spectrum than I had expected it to be. Maybe this is something I should talk to somebody about. 
Absolutely. I mean, so some things to pay attention to, like I think if you can't find, if running is not bringing you joy, right? And you keep on, and it used to. So when, anytime something used to bring us joy and now it's not, um, that's a that's a concern. And then, um, so maybe it's a sign, hey, I need to step back from running. But then also, if you can't find joy in any of the things that used to bring you joy, that would be more of a sign to reach out to a therapist, right? So that would be like a distinction between what's burnout from running and what's maybe something that could look more like depression. So burnout from running would just be like, I'm done with running. Every time I think about running, I'm done with it. Like, I just don't want to think about running and, and, um, more depressive would be if, if there's nothing, right. I don't want to see anybody. Don't want to do anything. Um, and both a therapist could help with both of those things to be clear. Um, but just wanting to make that distinction. So, um, if you're, so if you're, if you suddenly don't find the same joy in something, and then like I talked about the control piece, or if you find yourself like often dismissing your own health, so even though you know you should take a day off or you know you should eat more calories or you know you should fuel for a run and you know what you should do but you choose your own that you risk your own health or your own performance for these other things like that would be a sign that you want to bring somebody else in to help you um prioritize things and sort of understand what beliefs and thoughts are making you jeopardize your own health yeah, because the goal at the end of the day or the end of end of all of this, I think for most runners is to run for as long as we can, right? To run for the rest of our yeah. lives until whenever that might be, right? And and I think, you know, for so much of so many of us running adds so much joy to our lives and adds so much to our lives that we want to keep it that way and help you have the best relationship with running and with yourself that you possibly can. A hundred percent. Yes. It's all about that, that infinite process, that lifelong journey. And so again, going back to why we don't want to get hung up on any one goal, it's because there's going to be something after that. You know, I really believe that for everybody. And, um, and we want to be thinking about that big picture and not just that finish line, but what comes after that finish line. Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. This is this is a great conversation. I know that um, I'll admit freely, I probably need to get back to my mindfulness practice. <laughs> um, but if somebody wants to learn, connect with you, I know you have some great resources and information available and somebody wants to learn more about you and what you're doing, um, tell us where we can find you. Yeah, so for folks who are in Colorado and interested in therapy services, you can reach out at fireweedcounselingllc.com and um, I can provide uh, direct therapy services to anyone in Colorado. And then for anybody just looking for sports performance stuff or um, who wants some mindfulness, so I have a website, the trail therapist at teachable.com and that is mindfulness trainings and sports psychology so that's different than i should say sports performance coaching not sports psychology i'm not a sports psychologist i'm a therapist um so sports performance um is different than therapy and so that's why i have two different websites so i want to be really clear that those are distinct services and if i'm doing sports coaching with somebody that that's not therapy um and so fireweed counseling llc for those in colorado and the trailtherapist.teachable.com for those interested in coaching and mindfulness and that's all to be linked in the show notes so you can find sarah follow her, check her out, see if maybe you're in Colorado or maybe you're looking for more of that support performance coaching. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. Co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.